What's going on, everybody? This is Dr. Brent Pritt with Science of Falling. This is episode number eight of the Science of Falling podcast, and I have an awesome guest today, Ben Musel. He is a physical therapist, first and foremost. Uh, he is the founder of BPM RX. He also is an author of a few books now. He's a former Ninja Warrior competitor. I mean, this guy's into everything. He's also a movement connoisseur. Uh, ben, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Brent. Um, physical therapist since 2001, uh, kind of had a diverse practice experience, worked for skilled nursing facilities, hospitals, outpatient clinics, and then uh, started a house call practice out in Portland, Oregon, um, ran that. Working with um, elderly quite a bit, a lot of post-operative patients, um, did a fair amount of like home safety valves, trying to keep people safe in their home from falling. Um, and then I got out of that business in 2018 and uh, went back to school for computer science. But yeah, written a couple books related um, to fitness and parkour. So the Mad Skills Exercise Encyclopedia came out in 2013 and with a second edition a couple years later and then wrote, co-wrote uh, Parkour Strength Training with Ryan Ford, who's the, the head coach at Apex Movement or Parkour EDU. Awesome, yeah. I think that was when I first heard about you was through Parkour Strength Training. I, I picked that up when I first started in my early 20s doing parkour and I was like oh this is sweet you can like this stuff and be a PT that's what the one thing that I really always intrigued me about you when I heard about you is that you were both a professional PT but you were into this kind of weird sport I guess you could say you know of parkour mm -hmm. um, and there's the, the kind of openness and movement uh, how did you get into things like parkour and I know you have a pretty extensive movement background from what I've what I've seen so kind of dive into that a little bit yeah for sure uh, so I was a gymnast in high school like martial artist since childhood, like five or six in the martial arts. And there's always a bit of being taken down in martial arts, but um, uh, yeah, gymnast, uh, I was a competitive gymnast in high school and um, had fair share of board sports as well, skateboarding, snowboarding, uh, but always kind of on that acrobatic side. I was a diver, just kind of mm -hmm. real, that high level agility was always calling to me. And I mean, parkour is kind of the thing that we all did when we were kids jumping around and stuff. And when it, when it got a name in like 2006, we're like, oh, there's actually like a discipline and you can and train and the thing that you love to do, jumping around on stuff and climbing, scaling things like, okay, there's like a, a rhyme and reason to this. And uh, that was cool to start doing it kind of that, the mid 2000s and a little later. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think, like I always wanted to do something physical as a kid. And uh, I was always that kid who'd be running around trying to like find the, the fastest spot, you know, just like parkour and kind of weaving it in between crowds and jumping over things. So um, mm -hmm. I think when I, when I found parkour, I had the same feeling. It's like, oh, this is just like being a kid, but I can do it as an adult. And it's like, kind of okay. You know, yeah. and then the office <laughs> came out and made fun of us, but you know, it is what it is. Um, so how did that, you know, as a PT, how did you kind of meld those two worlds? Cause obviously, you know, doing ankle pumps and, you know, leg raises and whatnot are a little bit different than, you know, doing parkour moves. Um, how did you kind of mix those two different worlds? And, you know, was it hard or kind of, what was that experience? Um, well, for one, parkour was the thing that I would just love to do out of work. So there wasn't like a hard press to make it, make the worlds meld. Um, but what I did at least do is um, became a parkour EDU certified coach. And then mm -hmm. out of on the side would coach parkour um, at a local gym in Portland, Oregon, when I lived there. So um, and then kind of slowly, just the, the coaching mindset, thinking about scaling and scaling ability, progressions, regressions, that kind of eased its way into my physical therapy thinking. Mm -hmm. So after I'd been a coach for a number of years, just that idea of thinking about progressions and scales um, really started to impact how I thought about 
um, being a physical therapist and approaching it. We do that kind of naturally, but thinking about what's the, what's the lowest level and kind of progressing up through that, trying not to skip steps. So uh, it wasn't like a hard press, like, oh, I need to be a, a parkour physical therapist, but it would kind of, you know, impact um, how I, I worked with the older adults for sure, even post-operative patients. Okay, you got to crawl before you, you walk mm-hmm. sort of stuff. So yeah, it wasn't, um, wasn't like a distinct marriage. Um, it was just kind of more like parts of my life that fit together. For sure. That's awesome. I mean, yeah, it's kind of, for me, it's, I don't know how much you've looked in the science of falling, but that's kind of the whole, the idea behind this was that in PT, I, you know, I'm really into balance training and all that. And I realized that there was this huge gap of, we teach people how to balance all the time. We teach them how to get off the ground, but we never talk about that middle ground. Like, you know, there's, you're obviously, if you're going to the ground, you're going to fall somehow. Um, and we never talked about that. And I think parkour gave me that, that idea, the link between the two. I mean, is that, did you find that link too in your brain? Because I think clearly so. I've read some of your articles and they, they kind of show that you have that link. So, yeah. Yeah. I think like a good analogy I use and for the PT world where we have that gap about falling is um, kind of like if you're an MMA fighter and you went to an MMA gym and you're going to learn like three elements really, you're going to learn the stand up fighting, you mm-hmm. know, the, the kind of sparring, punching, kicking, tie boxing, boxing elements. And then you're going to learn like the Brazilian jiu-jitsu, the, the on the ground uh, mm-hmm. grappling, but you're also gonna learn the wrestling and judo, which is that the instance between the stand-up fighting and the clinch, the moment when it goes to the ground. And if your MMA coach failed to teach you that wrestling, the judo components, like, you know, you could be a really good stand-up fighter and ground fighter, but unless you know that middle ground, like you're gonna get seriously hurt not knowing yeah. how to fall. So it actually almost be negligent on the, the coach in that gym to not train that kind of skill that's that intermediate it happens in a split instant but if you don't train it like that would be a huge element that's missing from the training so i think in the pt world um there's this there's the movement continuum and falling as part of that movement continuum from you know rolling as a toddler crawling standing and then before walking comes falling so mm-hmm. it's part of this this element um and especially so if someone's coming to the gym for a balance training it almost feels wrong to not address you know, you're going to go outside of your, your bounds of balance at some point, and you're going to need to get to the ground. How do you do that safely? So I think it's definitely within the domain of PT to be, to be working on that. Mm-hmm. Did you ever try to incorporate that into your PT practice? And I know, you know, if you had your own place, it's easier, but as, you know, as a, as young PTs or PTs have been in kind of, um, you know, under someone else, like in my experience, when I've brought it up, there have been some people that are hesitant because, you know, teaching a patient how to fall is inherently more dangerous than just balancing. Yeah. Um, did you ever find any pushback or did you, have, I mean, did you ever incorporate that into your practice at all? Um, in, so when I was, um, you know, in the, the parkour world, I had already started moving into house calls practice. So I didn't, it's not like I had a gym um, where there's some elements in the gym you can really structure the training, I think, for falling really well, yeah. using like a high-low table, even a crash mat to scale, like, that the height you're falling from um at the home though um would definitely you know start the kind of a progression of what's it like to be sitting on the ground and roll to your back roll to your Mm -hmm. side what's it like just to roll across your body see how it feels uh tall kneeling half kneeling squatting kind of going to your Mm -hmm. going to your body from that side so i mean that's super safe i don't think anyone's going to argue that teaching someone to, to roll or to go from a sitting position to their back is dangerous. Of course, you want to take everything into consideration who you're working with, mm-hmm. but um, never had any pushback. But um, again, I wasn't like trying to market that to doctors or anything. 
for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's just my brain. I've, I've noticed it, like, you know, in, we're both in Maine right now for, for the listeners. Um, and there's a place called Maine Strong Balance. I believe it's over in Scarborough. And he's the only guy um, over there, the owner who's, who I know is actually taking that falling aspect. And he's teaching some of his patients actually how to fall, you know, with crash mats and whatnot. Oh, cool. um, I thought that was pretty cool because you see other places and it's, it's just a, no one does it. It just seems either the knowledge isn't there or there's a fear of hurting the patient or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like what you're saying, doing the tall kneeling and, you know, teaching how to roll from the ground. Mm-hmm. It's, it's inherently safe. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think as long as you start from the ground and think of that progression, like um, the crash mat's kind of the last piece of it for sure. From standing should be kind mm-hmm. of the last element. What's it like to go to the ground? You'd even have someone go to the, the wall or a, a, a high low table before going all the way to the ground. For sure, for sure. Yeah, I, like I know, it. like, have you heard of physical, physical therapy and balance centers? It's like yeah, a, yeah, a, I have a actually, franchise. Yeah. yeah, it's cool to see that that's got such a um, an emphasis. Are they doing some stuff of that? I mean, are I they? I don't know about falling per se, but definitely balance. Balance, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So, I mean, how has your your general movement background influenced you as a PT in the whole? Because I mean, I know you're you you were on Ninja Warrior, which is pretty awesome, by the way. Like that's mad respect for that um and like you you do these things that are out of the ordinary you know i mean it's all fun stuff it's just being a kid it's out of the ordinary um how has that influenced you obviously you, you took those skills and you made the mad skills encyclopedia right so i mean that you, you kind of went this other way around with it and you, you opened up that world to other people but has that influenced kind of how you you interact with people either in the i guess parkour coaching or um in the pt world and how you train them and the exercises you pick um, I think, you know, real important as someone that comes from a pretty diverse movement background from um, the bodyweight strength training and gymnastics uh, to the agility um, in, in martial arts and um, like skateboarding and stuff, the thinking about um, human movement as this tree that kind of flourishes from childhood, it starts out as a sapling and as we move into our, you know, nine, 10, our, our, our agility improves. And then in teenage years, we start doing these, we start learning crazy, crazy skills. We start flipping mm-hmm. and stuff. And that, that tree of life, the movement tree kind of expands. But then by the time you're like mid twenties and you're in nine to five, like some of those limbs of the movement tree start getting sheared off. And, you know, little by little, you're left with just a couple branches of movement and lo and behold, like, you know, at the end of the week, you look back and like, what did I really do movement wise? Like I rolled out of bed, stood up, maybe I went for a jog, did some stairs. Uh, so that movement repertoire just gets smaller and smaller. And I think as a PT, um, people in the profession really have a, an opportunity to help people embrace the flowering and, and development of that, that tree of life, um, whether it's through movement, uh, well, sorry, parkour or um, anything, really anything that people enjoy, but to keep keep those limbs expanding and growing so that the, by the time you're in your 60s, 70s and 80s, like it's enough to walk safely. Like that's kind of sad. Like we should at those age still be hanging and, you know, being on the ground, getting up from the ground, but um, trying to keep really think of just a diverse um, skill set. And through that imagination of uh, a movement tree, I think is really helpful. No, I, I love that analogy. And I can just see the, even you talking about it, I see the passion because you start smiling instantly. You start talking about this movement tree and all that stuff. Um, it's inspiring, honestly. That's awesome. 
And so I was reading your website, you know, doing a little research for the podcast and you have this, this rule of three, three movement things a day, or like explain that rule. What, what is it? Uh, so I just realized when I look back, when I do a look back, like what were my happiest days, um, like across the week, across the month is typically when I was able to do three movement things. Sometimes I would caveat of like three fun movement things, but not necessarily like if I go for a nice long walk with the dog go for a bike ride and then do some calisthenics, any combination, maybe go skateboarding one day, take the longboard out, go to the park. Um, anytime I could fit in three, you know, maybe it's like swinging the kettlebell, but as long as there's three distinct like sections of movement throughout the day, I felt mm-hmm. like that was the key to, to my happiness at least. And kind of put it out there. It seems like it resonates. <laughs> it's no, an it easy, t- easy target, you know? <laughs> it's easy target because it doesn't take much time, but no, I'm right there with you. The days where I don't exercise, even if I'm busy and I'm, I'm like being productive, I just don't feel as, as happy and engaged. Cause it's just like your body th- wants that. I mean, it's, it's thirsting yeah. for that movement. And, um, I thought that was really cool when I saw it. I was like, all right, three things a day. How often do you make that goal? I mean, is that an everyday thing? You're like, it has to happen and you're getting it done. It's pretty consistent. It's now, you know, when you become, um, the person that is no longer, I need to strive for three things a day where you're the person that I just do three things a day. Mm-hmm. Like that's an important shift. Like, yeah, that's just part of who I am. So it comes pretty naturally now, but having a dog helps and <laughs> living on the top, top floor of a condo and having the exercise equipment right at hand. Um, so it, it comes pretty natural, but it's those, the more marathon days when you get like a couple really good sessions, maybe go to the park, do some pull-ups. Um, mm-hmm. when, they, when they can be distinct like that. Those are, those are great. Weekends are always a little easier. Oh, always a little bit easier. And that's all, I mean, just a shout out to you. Anybody listening to this, check out Ben's Instagram. He is a beast. Um, this guy's got some wicked, strong, just movement skills. It's, it's insane. I'm impressed by the way, like hands down. Like yeah. You got to keep it going. Um, <laughs> the gymnastics background from high school. I mean, there's a lot of muscle memory. Yeah. I, it looks like it, man. Like you're doing yeah. those what front levers and all, I mean, doing all these crazy things. I'm like, my body would fall apart. And then I try to do that. I've tried yeah. it. It just doesn't work. That stuff. I mean, sadly, the gym, the, the body weight strength training. Um, have you seen the book, uh, overcoming gravity? Yeah. 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 Uh, so that kind of started me out with training, um, uh, planches and, and levers and, uh, V sits on the parallels consistently. So I try and train that, uh, two, three times a week consistently, but the incremental progress I make over, over a decade now is so sad, but (laughs) (laughs) I will dedicate, you know, probably two sessions twice a week for 20 minutes to work on that strength just to keep it. Yeah. Uh, It hasn't gotten demonstrably better, but it's like a skill I want to maintain. Hey man, I look at those things and I'm impressed. So like, I'm sure a lot of other people are mad impressed too. So I I appreciate it. Go on. I said, there's something to be said for losing skills. Like at, at okay. a certain point, like there's nothing sadder than losing a movement skill. So m- one of my movement backgrounds is capoeira. Um, mm-hmm. That's how my wife and I met in Oregon 20 years ago. But capoeira has just incredible floreo and acrobatics. And there's mm-hmm. kicks like you do a back football kicking your leg over your head. And, you know, bunch of my cohort of friends we all had that skill and now like late 30s 40s it's gone like <laughs> and we're all like reaching for it so um the not losing movement skills is such an important goal as well like keep training keep training it all right no so i, I want wait do you think you can get that skill back if you've trained it 
there's there's like a way to do it i'd have to scale it um it's actually really easy at a beach so i can probably yeah. go to a beach and do it it's harder of course i'm not gonna try it on concrete grass <laughs> is a little sketchier um even like uh uh a playground with with bark dust like yeah, yeah it's okay a beach the beach that slopes it's a lot yeah. easier yeah all right i'm gonna challenge you man in the next month i want to see that on your instagram mm, I don't know. oh no you don't got it <laughs> I was trying to, I was we're trying to move, just move in the winter here. It might be next summer. It might be next summer. It's true. I didn't think about that. It's about to be snowing here soon. Huh? Yeah. Uh, where I learned it was in the Virgin Islands because the Virgin Islands had these pretty steep sloping beaches. Mm -hmm. It's a lot easier there. Oh, that's sweet. And it's a nice place to be learning it too. I mean, yeah. beautiful, so, uh, beautiful maybe, maybe I take a trip down there. <laughs> there you go. That, that's a reason to go. I like it. So, I mean, let's, let's talk about the, the muscle mass. I mean, you're talking about strength and these skills. And I also read some of your articles that, you know, the body tissue having either fat or muscle on you is going to help you protect those bony prominences a little bit better you know just your spine and everything when you're having a fall um what's your kind of thoughts on that and how, how's that played into um just your own personal movement practice yeah i think you know in part of um encouraging people to gain muscle mass is part of that hey you know think of muscle as padding or even armor where um, the thicker those, those bulks of muscle, the more protective they are. Like the deltoids in your chromium process is a good example. Like if you got bigger delts, you're protecting that chromium process. Same thing with like your lats on your back or your glutes as well. Like you're more protective to not hit your spinous processes or your, your PSIS, PSIS mm -hmm. or, um, you know, greater trochanters inside your hips. The bigger those muscles are, the easier it is to target them as mm -hmm. kind of the padding when you go to roll. Um, so I think it's really big. So, you know, we, we know we can't spot lose adipose tissue and it's in the other direction. You can't really spot add adipose. Like it's going to, fat's going to go where it's going to go. So yep. I think it's much better to target adding muscle. And of course those big proximal muscle groups, mm -hmm. it's, you know, an interesting thing to throw out maybe with your older patients. Hey, by increasing the size of your glutes and maybe trying some pulling strength and some shoulder strength, like you're pr providing a little protection, assuming that you're falling in the way that you're targeting, um, hitting proximally. So mm -hmm. I think um, with falling, you know, it's inevitable you're gonna use your, your hands and your feet kind of like as little steering guides, yep. but really you wanna use that to steer to hit proximally. And when you have bigger muscles proximally around your torso, you're providing better padding, better cushion. I think it's, it's actually, I think it's really important piece to consider. Well, 100%. Yeah. I mean, because even if, even if your falling techniques aren't good, if you fall down and you have a little extra tissue, it makes you more safer, essentially. I mean, I know I've read um, research articles are saying those who are skinny versus those who have extra adipose tissue or muscle mass are more protected during car accidents. I mean, in that, mm -hmm. there is no real technique for that. You just got to pray, essentially. More, more and padded. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It makes sense for sure. Do you, um, I think I'm pretty sure you probably Dom. Dom Tomato. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Dom Tomato. Yeah, yeah. I love watching him um, just throw himself off two-story structures, and you know he looks like he's gonna just collide with the ground this horrible way. But right at the last moment, he turns his body 30, 40 degrees mm -hmm. and hits those big muscle groups. So that's something that we really should be pushing people is just that little slight. Okay, get out of that you know, sagittal plane of falling, just a little yep. 30 degree twist, you're going to be way better prepared. For sure. And that's the, the interesting thing about him. And, you know, feel free to disagree on my, on my opinion here. <laughs> when I watch him, I think a lot of that is because clearly when he first started doing parkour, he didn't just go huck it off two story buildings because he would have mm -hmm. been dead. 
but yeah. um, his, I mean, he does such insane heights that when he lands, I think there's so much momentum. He doesn't often have this pristine roll technique. Obviously it, I mean, it kind of goes into a barrel roll half time. And yeah. I think part of that is not only does it, it's the soft tissue there, his, but his bone density has changed so much from over the years of doing this um, that he doesn't yeah, he has need. a really interesting rolling technique. It's almost yeah. a little rag dolly, more side roll than like a, a straight shoulder roll or something. But I think it's, to your point, he's coming with such momentum that mm -hmm. going head over would be much more dangerous than kind of going right to his side. Yeah, and I've, I've noticed that. And it's just a very interesting thing I've, I've seen from him because, you know, he's this top guy that everybody's watching, right? I mean, everybody mm -hmm. follows him. And he gets out of some of the most insane situations halfway scot-free. I mean, he's broken a couple bones and everything, yeah. but um, it's amazing. I mean, it's yeah. something else. I, I draw inspiration um, for falling technique from watching skateboarders, for sure. So if you yeah. want to watch people that, you know, they're anticipating falling all the time. I mean, it's going to happen with skateboarding versus other, sport, other sports. We could have a good day at the track or tennis. And you're, you're not going down necessarily, but skateboarding, like, you're going to fall. And uh -huh. just how they prepare and, and naturalize not hitting their head by like turning sideways so the shoulder hits and then the head can't hit because a lot of pros don't wear helmets. You know, oh, you see them on the screen, pros aren't wearing helmets on the street, but uh, they fall in a way that's very natural and they're definitely not like outstretched limbs. Like it becomes very natural to keep it um, proximal. That actually was, um, that's how probably I could trace my roots in the physical therapy was learning skateboarding like in middle school, I went to a skate park and um, slipped on a ramp, didn't fall the way it should have, like outstretch arm, sublex, tore my, tore my labrum. But that's not how like, you know, older, truer skateboarders, if I'll just go straight to the shoulder, but you definitely yeah. don't, don't want to try and control it distally oh. at the hand. So, not fun, not fun. I, uh, on my Instagram, once a week, I break down a falling video, you know, I find it mm -hmm. on the internet, sometimes it's sport, sometimes just a normal fall. And I did one a few weeks ago with, uh, do you know, Nigel Huston? I, I think I'm saying his name, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So guy. he used to have like these crazy dreads when he was younger and now he's just, mm -hmm. you know, short hair and everything. He's an animal. Um, he's so good. It, oh, insane. So he, I broke down this video of him trying to do this, this like curved rail. He's just trying to like 50, 50, I believe. And he kept on falling over and over and over. And you can just see the way he was falling. He was purposely protecting his head. Mm -hmm. And I don't think a lot of skateboarders, go outside and just try to practice falling. They don't sit there and do rolls, right? They mm -hmm. learn from the first day they get on, they slip off and they fall down. It's just kind of this natural thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I think once you have enough falls under your belt, your body just naturally finds that path of least resistance and the most protection. Mm -hmm. um, and it was really just fascinating to see because, I mean, there was a curb. He was falling off in the dirt pathway and there's just this cement curb and cement ground. And you can see he purposely pushed off his head a little bit right before then. Mm -hmm. um, it was quite insane. And like, just, it was impressive. Because you know yeah. he's not practicing that on his own. Yeah, I think there's a lot, a lot to learn from watching skaters fall. Definitely. Sure. How do you, how do you think? Um, well, let me preface this. I had an interesting conversation with one of my uh, old classmates a couple of weeks ago. I was telling him about science falling, kind of the the idea behind it, um, and he was he was all about it in the PT world. But the minute I was telling him about it, you know, like oh, you know, I feel like football players should learn how to fall and you know, soccer players and all these other people that are in these sports that you're going to fall because you play intensely. Um, he was like, no, I don't think so. I don't think they got it. Like they, they got padding on, they're good. And it's just, there wasn't a connection. How do you think um, falling techniques can be better incorporated into places like football, you know, baseball, that, because a lot of those sports, 
they learn how to fall again, kind of like skateboarding through, you know, they're just going to dive and kind of pray for it. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't think, you know, people don't train rolling. People don't train um, kind of doing a dive and then roll to a, a safe position. How do you think that kind of plays in? Yeah, I think it, there's a lot of space for it. I was thinking about that too as well. Like, yeah, football players versus rugby. That'd be an interesting comparison because rugby players don't wear padding, right? And they're being taken oh. down. Like, I'd love to do like a side-by-side. -side. Um, so rugby players are clearly, they're learning to fall maybe better than football players because they don't have the padding. So they're mm -hmm. learning to take, take the force better. Um, I'd be interested to know like the machismo of trying to like always be upright um, and like what that, what its effect on uh, like limb injury rates are like yeah, knee, in, knee injuries or something like what if you were trained to in a weird cut or something like if it doesn't feel right crumple go mm -hmm. to the ground rather than turn pivot you know tear a ligament what if like that was more part of the movement training yeah. continuum like okay as an opportunity to spare your body <laughs> go to go to the ground oh for sure and i was i i had the same thought and i there was an article that said the same thing like acls and ligaments in the knee if you come in basketball if you come down from a bad shot mm -hmm. you're much better just crumpling instead of trying right. to stand up because the rates of acl tears go down dramatically and it's just in my brain do i want to look you know macho and stay up yeah. and then tear yeah. myself and be out of the game entirely for a year almost and then you want to go to the ground the and just get back sticking up. out of your ankle <laughs> yeah you know what i mean like what's i don't understand the, the thought process behind that but um you know the since it is football season um i always find it interesting when players rather you know dive and then just kind of fall like a brick and they don't move versus mm -hmm. the players that roll and they get a little barrel roll and they get back up and get back at the play i always think that's really um it's in the background you know we, we're looking at whoever has the ball but we don't look at these defenders who are falling down rolling getting back up in the play who they might have a chance to actually stop the other person but so that to me is like yeah. that's athletic falling like at its finest for sure yeah it could be like to your point like people haven't been trained that hey going to the ground could turn into a roll and you pop up but this is how we did it in uh, junior high football practice this is how we did it mm -hmm. in in high school and it looks cool the epic <laughs> you know, like diving catch that so you just drop to the ground and like load of bricks um, that gets applause maybe. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's, I think it's like, Oh, the effort they had and they, they right. dived and they fell down. But I'm like, man, I like the guy who's rolling and back into it. Like, that's awesome to me. For sure. There was another uh, play I saw, I forgot who it was, but um, as much as I'm talking about sports, I'm like a non-traditional sports guy. I don't really watch football and basketball that much, but um, like there was a baseball guy who's running the home plate and he dives over the catcher and just like perfect, like just Side front roll. roll, safety roll. It was fantastic. And he made the play. And I'm like, why doesn't everybody do that? Like, I mean, yeah. if we don't have those skills in these sports, it'd be amazing. Mm -hmm. Have you, did you catch any of the world chase tag? Oh yeah. All the time. That's yeah. awesome. That's gotta, gotta promote, elevate the, the going to the ground ability. Oh well, yeah. And I, I mean, you worked with Amos, right? That was mm -hmm. or Ryan Ford and Amos owned the. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Amos was, um, he was one of the coaches that did the certification mm -hmm. I went down to California for it. So yeah, I got to hang with him. He's, yeah. he's a master. I was like, I always look at him as because I took his, uh, his, his initial like falling parkour ukemi class. And I thought yeah. that was super cool. And I actually really yeah. influenced a lot of this uh, science of falling projects. I use a lot of his techniques for some of my tutorial videos. And mm -hmm. I look at that and I'm like, that's just real world stuff. And I feel like a lot of in sports and in normal life, we, you know, we as general people don't think we're going to fall. 
or that we're, you know, for somehow we're invincible of slipping, but I feel like it's like motorcycle riding. You know, if you're on a bike, you know, you're going to go down eventually, mm-hmm. but for some reason in our body, we don't have that. I don't know if it's a false sense of confidence or what that is. I mean, what do you think? It, yeah, I think like part of that, going back to the movement tree analogy, as you slowly do less dangerous things into adulthood, <laughs> you're not falling as much. That's so true. that, that, that branch like probably withers away. I don't need to even think about falling because I haven't fallen in two years. I've been walking home to the office, to the car, no falls. Um, Athletes are probably a little bit more attuned to it, but um, in daily life, somehow we got to bring it in and probably exposure to sports like that, like world chase tag. And, Mm -hmm. oh man, look at what these people are doing. Like they're not teenagers. These are adults out Mm -hmm. there going to the ground. Why do you think, I mean, going back to the move, right? Why do you think people stop moving? I know there's, there's a cultural thing of when you're an adult, you have to stop playing sort of, I mean, and you know, us weird folk who do parkour and do all these other weird things we're playing essentially as grown adults. And it's sometimes frowned upon. I mean, I know, you know, when you've done parkour outside, I'm sure you've gotten some people like yelling parkour and doing all these, you know, maybe, maybe giving you weird looks or something. How, where's the disconnect between using your body as a tool for movement and just fun um and being this upstanding adult who wears a suit and doesn't move around and just sits all day i mean how's that where's that delineation that line i think it's probably just kind of a a cultural carryover where it's just fallen out of fashion to do that type of training um you look back like late 1800s when they had these big gymnasiums like ymca size where people were rope climbing and hanging out on parallel bars and now it's hard to find any of that equipment. So when you do, people are like, oh, those are, that's kids equipment. Why are you calling it kids equipment? Like, no, this is like legit adult exercise equipment, but it's hard mm-hmm. to come by. And it's been just like, kind of like taken out of our culture slowly, that ability. Um, so before, before we hopped on the call, I was talking about finding uh, some workout equipment in uh, South Portland, which has been kind of a hard thing for me to do. Moved to Portland, Maine here uh, in April. And, missing kind of the, the park structure workouts that I had back in Portland, Oregon, and found this park in South Portland. But the workout equipment, it is spread out across probably like three or four kilometers. Like you have to walk. <laughs> so there's like a pull-up bar, parallel bars, like some monkey bar stuff. But it is yeah. like, it, they don't make it easy. It's there <laughs> and it, it's in the back of the park. So it's not even like front and center. So really, even to see people doing it, like it's not near the baseball court, not near the soccer area. So if you and I were to go do that, no one would see us. Um, oh. So for us to do another park, it just becomes like this weird thing. I think if we do it, do it more and kind of push ourselves, push our colleagues, push yep. our patients to be doing it, it'll just be normalized. I mean, it's a, it's pretty cool to be able to move like that. Oh, for sure. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing better than being able to, in my brain, whenever I was on, you know, at a parkour gym or outside and just being able to flow and feel natural in this environment that other people would, you know, would be scared to move in, um, mm-hmm. you know, jumping from, you know, whether it be rails or jumping side to side and doing tic-tacs and all that stuff. I feel like it's, it's such a, you almost get into like a flow state of when you're doing it and you're just kind of, you're part of that environment all of a sudden where usually people feel very disconnected to their environment. Yeah. One thing we could hope is that there's more um, parkour um, outdoor spaces like the West mm-hmm. Coast had a fair amount of them um, out towards uh, Boise has an epic one right across they the really? skate park. There's a really fun 
uh, parkour area um, underneath an overpass was covered. That's sweet. I think, um, British Columbia had one. I think maybe outside of Seattle has one. I'm not sure of any of the Northeast here. Um, I, it, you should maybe follow um, Colin McDonald. He's one of the parkour visions people. And he's now become like um, uh, a parkour outdoor area training resource. So he helps oh, really? design like outdoor parkour spaces. So I'll check him out. Yeah, just like, you know, skateboarding. Now everyone's skateboarding. It's in the Olympics. Like 30 years ago, it was hard to find a, a skateboarding park. And now they're, they're everywhere. Oh, it's mainstream. It's just, it's old hat now. You know, everybody skateboards and yeah. it's still illegal in some places in terms of, you know, riding down Main Street on your skateboard and whatnot might not be uh, necessarily uh, warranted. But um, not. I think it's interesting. And I think the chase tag, like you said, is going to bring it to the forefront. I think it's going to open up the movement repertoire for people that don't want to do parkour, but want to, move into more of those non-traditional sports, which I would almost argue it's more traditional to use your body that way, but that's just me. I mean, I'm just gonna throw it out there. Um, but yeah, it's always been interesting. Um, how, how is, uh, let's go the opposite way. How has your PT practice kind of influenced your movement practice and, you know, into these sports? Have you thought about your movements differently because of the knowledge that you gained during PT school and you're, you know, just training patients and everything? Um, I think it's probably made me a safer, um, like body weight athlete, yeah. you know, you know, the, we can generate a lot more, um, power from our muscles before our, our tendons and have adapted to the strain we can provide them. So probably giving me a little bit more appreciation of the benefit of going slower. And just cause I can generate the muscular power to do something dynamically, I should probably spend a little bit more time at those end ranges conditioning my mm -hmm. connective tissue to do it. Um, so probably just maybe a little safer. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, you can watch um, people doing like one arm something and a pec tear, bicep tear. Oh, uh, yeah, I can't watch those. Whenever I see a video of, you know, some top athlete, like an Achilles tear or, you know, pec tear, mm -hmm. I, it makes me cringe. I can't do it. Can't yeah. even watch them. In general, your, your, your books uh, really promote these non-traditional exercises right and you know as have you noticed a big reception to those and you know more people that normally wouldn't be coming into that kind of world coming to it uh, i think so like with parkour strength training some of the feedback was just great that like this is you know really great resource for no cost <laughs> low cost um fitness um my big thing just ever since young adulthood was not having to pay for a gym Mm -hmm. We have so many opportunities, whether it's calisthenics at home um, or gymnastics strength training with real simple equipment is just keeping any costs associated with, associated with fitness low. Is that mm -hmm. it's like really a, a sad dichotomy. People think they need to spend a hundred bucks to go to a box or yeah. whatever, 50 to go to like a globo gym. Like you really don't, you know, spend some money up front mm -hmm. um, just to get a minimal set. Maybe it's a yoga mat to start with, mm -hmm. but really um, understand there's so much you can do with the limited set of exercise equipment that no one should be dissuaded. Oh, I can't do that. I don't have the money. That was always really sad that people spending too much money to, to try and stay fit when they don't need to. Yeah. And I think that that kind of brings the point home of uh, movement desert. Does that term? Yeah. So, uh, you know, people, and sometimes it, it's, you know, if you're in an inner city, you can't really go outside and work out. Sometimes it's not safe, but um, I think, yeah, like the, having that book with the, those two books that you, um, authored, 
or co-authored as well with parkour strength training. Um, mm -hmm. I think really bring some of that stuff so you can do stuff in, inside the house and you can do stuff in your backyard and there's ways to work out and exercising find though, kind of open up those limbs again of that tree and um, mm -hmm. flourish a little bit more that, you know, as we get older to find that fun again with some of these yeah. just body weight movements. Makes me think of the book, um, convict conditioning. Yeah. <laughs> how, how do, how do, uh, prisoners get so jacked, you know? It was always a question of mine and that book really was like, Oh, this makes a lot of sense. You got nothing yeah. else to do, but just do squats and pull-ups and whatever you got, it, uh, you know, around you, yeah. get it done. That guy was an animal. Mm -hmm. uh, well, what, was, what was your movement background? I, you know, my movement background is not as extensive as most people would think. So when I was a kid, I, I have a really bad problem with, uh, authority. Okay. I was, I was, I was always getting in trouble. I was, a, okay. um, I played basketball when I was a little kid, my first game ever. I remember I shot on the wrong hoop. So it just all started out wrong. Um, and then I tried to play football and I went to a three day camp down in San Jose, California. Um, hated it, you know, three days, we were doing three days, so I had nine practices over three days, getting yelled at all day, hate it. So then I got into skateboarding was a big love of mine because it's, you know, it's a very individualistic, um, you can just kind of, it's, it was, it was more like art. You kind of just get to look at the world and change it and, you know, try mm -hmm. to figure out your line. Um, there was no real rules and, you know, half the tricks have like three different names anyway. So it's like, there was no governing body, just like kind of parkour um i got into weightlifting after that and i love weightlifting that was my first love i think that's what really got me to become a pt because i fell in love with that movement but it was mm -hmm. i always noticed it was, it was very restrictive i mean you got you know five main movements that you're doing you can spice it up a little bit with different variations but it was it was going hit chest hit back you know call it mm -hmm. a day and i still love doing that but i think um I loved it a little too much. I started getting injured a lot, you know, overuse mm -hmm. injuries. And so when I was 22, I was in Roner Park, California, um, going to Sonoma State University. And I was like, man, I like, I just feel like trash every single day. Like my body just hurts. So I was like, I got to take a break. I got to do something different. Mm -hmm. um, and by that, by that time in school, I was learning, okay, like, you know, switching up what you're doing makes the body a little healthier, do variable things. So there was a parkour gym called the Flying Frog down the street from me. And uh, I was like, yeah, my knees hurt. Jumping on stuff sounds like a good idea. So I went mm -hmm. and it actually made my whole entire body feel amazing because I was doing so much um, different movement than I was used to. And I mm -hmm. found this whole world of these people that are very welcoming, um, that new stuff that I've never even heard of. I did my, I did a Kong on my first day and I was like, I was like, I'm, I'm done. I can die now. I'm so happy because I saw it on nice. TV and I was like, this is impossible. It's so crazy. Um, and I found, I fell in love with that and that kind of brought me to where I am now where I, you know, I, I do obstacle course racing. Um, I'm pretty big into that and I, I just try to do as much variability as I possibly can. I, I mean, I have a beam and I balance for like 10 minutes in the morning as like my meditation and that's just fun to me. Nice. Um, so I think I've always been drawn to these more non-traditional of having the freedom to do what you like and create a movement practice that may not be like yours, you know, ours might be different, but they're both getting us to a similar place of having um, confidence in our body. Mm -hmm. So that was always interesting to me. Well, uh, we'll have to link up and go. Have you been down to hub the parkour gym? And I have Austin? not, I've been invited multiple times, but I've not had the chance either I'm working or something's going on, but I've always wanted to go. It seems uh, awesome. We'll, we'll have to do a road trip down there. I'm down, man. Uh, you're, I'm, I'm a little bit rusty in my parkour skills. I tried to do a top out the last other week and I was like, oh, I got no strength anymore. So I got to, I got to brush up. All right. You and me both. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, man, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, do you have, you know, any other thoughts on kind of, you know, the falling world or, you know, PT or movement practice, anything like that? Um, I, yeah, I just keep, keep those branches growing um, in terms of acquiring movement skills. I love that you have a balance beam at your house. Have you heard, uh, I think it's called the, the balance marathon. It was like no. a challenge I'd seen on Instagram a while back. I think it was for time or distance, but people spending like mad amount of time on a railing. Outside. Oh, yeah. Now I kind of want to do it. I think the longest yeah, I've done is a hundred feet on a rail. Mm-hmm. It's the longest I've done, but I was struggling. So yeah. yeah, those, those challenges are a fun way to like push your envelope, you know, like how's long, how long can I stay up on this beam mm-hmm. or that type of thing? Yeah. I think yeah. those are so much, so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. Keep moving. I think, um, that's the key to my happiness. And I think a lot of people probably <laughs> benefit from the same. I agree. And anybody who's listening to this on, you know, on a podcast um, app, come check out the video on YouTube because just seeing Ben smile when he talks about the stuff is it's inspiring. I mean, I can see, I can see the passion for it just from your face. When you start talking about it, all of a sudden it's just like your face changes. I'm like, Oh, this is cool. All right. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's awesome. You know, when you travel, I, um, I don't know if you've had this experience, but traveling, I've been really lucky spent time in South America, Asia, Europe, and you go to the park and you're only hanging out with kids essentially. And they're like, look at this adult doing crazy acrobatics mm-hmm. exercise. <laughs> but that that joy is like contagious because then, then the adults see see you and they're like, oh, I, I should go hang out with them. Yeah, I've had I've had quite a few of those experiences. And it's like I was talking about before, sometimes you get weird looks, but sometimes mm-hmm. People slowly start coming over. They stare at you for a while, and you, you just say, "Do you want to come like hang out and check this out?" Like I've been slacklining in parks and doing parkour in parks. I'm like, "Come on over, try it out. Like I'll show you something easy." And then you kind of create this community all of a sudden, right in the spot, and they're all about it. And you can teach right. them stuff. And they're they went from being an outside observer to part of the the fun. And it's it's a cool way to bring new people into just that train of mind and everything. I mean, it's, I think it's awesome. Those are, those are my peak experiences in life are sharing those movement times with like random strangers for sure. Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, I, boy, before we wrap it up, there was one other article I read that I thought was really cool. It was your, um, general athlete versus specific athlete. And you're saying, you know, you're not getting paid. And I don't know if you remember you writing this article, but, um, you know, we're not, most people aren't getting paid a million dollars to be the best footballer in the world, right. Or be the best base baseball player. And you're like, just learning to use your body and be general is great for not only that passion and that fun inside of you, but also just making yourself safe and, you know, a capable human being. I thought that was really awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, likewise, like try to go for great grandparent strength. <laughs> what would our great, great grandparents say? Like their, their definition of strong is like way different than our definition of strong. Their, their definition of strong was like useful strong. Yes. I can carry this load of bricks up these stairs because I'm a bricklayer and I can carry this pipe because I'm working this labor job. Like now people pay money to go do that type of workout. And, you know, uh, I'm, it's impressive. Was, I, look, I look at my, you know, my uh, dad, he's a, he works for a bank, but he's like on his off time, he just works his ass off and just, mm-hmm. just and he has these massive forearms. I'm like, my forearms are like these baby things. And I, I work out and I, you know, I think I'm strong and I look at him like, I've never in my entire life been able to beat him in arm wrestling or anything like that. It's just in my brain, I'm like, man, I am nothing compared to that. Like that's just real strong. Yeah. 
go for that kind of ancestral strength get back to it <laughs> i like it ancestral strength we're gonna call it that from now on there we i go. love it <laughs> All right, Ben, you got anything um, else to say? And if not, you know, tell the people where they can find your, your work at and, you know, support you and see what you're doing and just kind of allow you to keep on growing and doing the things that you love. Yeah, sure. I, so my, my blog is benmooseholt.com. I haven't published anything in a while, but I got a couple um, articles in there I've been thinking about. Otherwise, uh, Instagram, Ben Mooseholt. Uh, right. love, to, love to hang out and send me your pics. Cool. I love it. And where can people get, pick up your, uh, your books? I know they've been out for a couple of years, but I'm for, pretty sure they're still like, they're evergreen, right? I mean, those things don't get old with the principles you're talking about. Yeah. They're, they're both for sale on Amazon for sure. You could, you could probably order them from a bookstore if you don't want to support through Amazon. Uh, they're in China as well. <laughs> in case you're in China. <laughs> I love it. Is it in Chinese in China too? I'm assuming, or is it? Yeah. Oh, seriously. No way. That's awesome. Yeah. International man. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a couple um, free workouts you can download from uh, benwoosholt.com that have kind of the, the pictures and stuff from Matt Skills. Cool, sweet. Yeah, I saw some of those pictures the other day and I thought they were pretty awesome, actually. I mean, really well illustrated. And um, yeah, I thought it was just, I, I'm thinking about picking up the book. I haven't, I didn't even know you had that book. Until I started researching a little bit because I have parkour strength training, but um, I think I need to up my body weight game a little bit. It's just not quite, not quite up to your level yet. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, we'll have to, we'll have to do some training together. Yes, sir. Well, all right, Ben, I appreciate you, man. And I, you know, I really appreciate your passion for movement and just your, your passion for sharing that as well. I think that's, um, I think too many people have a passion and they, they just keep it to themselves. I think there's a, there's a beauty in sharing that and allowing people to, you know, take it as they will and, you know, maybe in, enrich their life as well. So I appreciate what you're doing and thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, what you're doing with Science of Fallen is really cool. So super excited to see that develop. Thanks, brother. I don't know what I'm doing yet. I'm just taking it a day at a time. I'm just doing what I can. So it's really cool. All right, man. I'll see you. All right. Take care.